Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of John Talks. I know it's been a while. I'll be honest with you, I've just been a little busy, but after all of that, uh, we're ready to get back. Crazy day of sports, a lot to talk about. Dave Russell, returning guest, comes back. Uh, Dave, once again, incognito uh, to start the podcast. But, you know, Dave, we spoke, I think, Thursday night, whenever the crazy, when the, whatever the NBA draft was. Um, Because that's when everything happened. And then the NBA draft happened last night. A lot to talk about. Could start with the Mets. Big weekend. Uh, Biggest news of all. Obviously the black jerseys. Then the Hall of Fame. And then Javi Baez in that order. No. But in all seriousness, though. um, (laughs) You know, what have you been up to? And yeah. We'll start start in Metland. Um, They never have a boring trade deadline. Even if they do nothing. There's still some... Some razzmatazz going on. And then also, you know, Kumar Rocker, if you want to get into that. So wherever you want to start. Yeah, well, I was actually at the game uh, Saturday, which was nice because you had a nice atmosphere. Although, from what I hear, Friday was more electric. Right. uh, The day of the actual deadline. But Saturday was nice with the ceremony. And then more importantly, Baez hitting a home run in his first game. You got the full Baez experience. You got the home run. You got him striking out with the guy on second and nobody out in the ninth inning. Yeah. you know, nice, nice seeing Sean Doolittle blow a save at City Field again. Kind of felt like 2019. Yeah, all time. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. Joey Votto missing like a record-breaking home run by like two, a uh, record-tying home run by two feet, which would have put the game out of reach. And the Mets coming back to win it, uh, thanks to the Rob Manfred rule and Brandon Drury coming through with the walk-off hit. Right, never a boring deadline, and I guess felt a bit like 2015. I guess it's also cheating because. Even though they got Carrasco in the offseason, it felt like a trade deadline move. Right. So I don't know how that counts. But you know what? If you make your debut the day of the trade deadline, it feels like they did something at the deadline, even though they didn't. Yeah, and that's how I feel about it, too. And I think that's how the Mets are selling it to the fan base. Although I wish they would have gotten more from a starter standpoint, especially knowing that you hear Zach Scott go on to the broadcast. I believe it was Friday night. um, And... He said that he knew about Jacob DeGrom. The following day, they announced that DeGrom is going to shut it down until September. The Mets are basically just banking on Carrasco and Syndergaard now at this point. And it's like, well, you have to wait for Carrasco to ramp up. Who knows what we're going to get out of Syndergaard? And this DeGrom news is not promising at all. And it wouldn't surprise me if we don't see Jacob DeGrom again this year. Um, Maybe the Mets try and force him like the last week of the season if the division's still up for, for grabs. But it would have been nice to throw in another starter for depth, considering that they brought over Trevor Williams with Javi Baez and then immediately optioned him. They've gotten good good starts out of McGill, which has been good. Taiwan Walker's come back down to earth because Taiwan Walker is Taiwan Walker. Um, and he just had an amazing first half. But yeah, that kind of bothered me a little bit that the Mets didn't go after a starter. I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on that because – Syndergaard and Carrasco are not locks and same thing with DeGrom coming back. And even if DeGrom comes back, I know he's the best pitcher on the planet. It wouldn't surprise me if he struggles out of the gate because he's rusty. I'm guessing they didn't want to give away too many prospects when they have a a rotation that could have in September DeGrom and Syndergaard and Carrasco and Stroman and Walker and Rich Hill. And you could always throw in Lugo in an emergency if he has to start and Miguel, I guess they figured what's, you know, What's the point of praying for another starter when we have all these options? Yeah, I think I'm just a little impatient. That's what it is. Robert Stock is uh, available to Jared Eikhoff will not be there, which is 
much well well well, let's see how many more injuries there are right yeah (laughs) exactly what do you think of the Mets uh black jerseys I I'll be honest with you growing up they were always part of the Mets rotation of jerseys so you just got used to it but now over the last was it been five years four and a half years that they haven't had the black jerseys Uh, 2012 is the last time they wore them oh really okay so it's been that long yeah Yeah, I just got used to it they wore them semi-regularly and then 2012 they wore them like once or twice when they were honoring guys from that era okay yeah I got used to it to be honest with you I just got used to them much much better jerseys right yeah so it was cool to see it one night. It was like a little nostalgic. Also, by the way, I love MLB's rule that it goes into the jerseys or goes into like, I don't know the right term for it, like a, a, a rotational jersey. But since the Mets didn't submit to have black jerseys two years ago, they can't wear them whenever they want this year. So they could only wear them five times. And then the Mets are just doing it for all the remaining Friday home games, um, which is still pretty cool, but... I don't know. I don't have this love affair with the jerseys. They're not bad. They're just, they don't look like the Mets. They don't look like the Mets. And like on its own, if you just saw it, you'd be like, oh, okay. And then when you see it next to like the white pinstripe jersey, you're like, oh, like why would they ever wear this other one? I like the cream jerseys, like the 2002, 2003. Yeah. Like yeah, really white jerseys ones. are good. Uh, I'm. Th- this is kind of, ha- the one nobody ever talks about bringing back and nobody likes it. And I guess because they sucked at the time. The early 90s home ones where it was matched with kind of like an underline like swoosh. Yeah. Under it. That one I think is uh, a beautiful jersey and uh, most people do not care for it. What do you think about the 86 jerseys? Because I, I don't believe that they're great jerseys, but because they won, they obviously have the allure of that era. But I don't you know. Think I, that- I, do, I, I just happen to like the racing stripe because I, I like even seeing them in 83. You know, that was the first year they had it. Right. And I think I would have just liked those jerseys. I, I mean, I liked them in 2016 when they wore them as a throwback on Sundays. Yeah, I, I just happened to like the racing stripe. I, I mean, I just said I liked the 93 jerseys, and that wasn't because of, there was some glory years. Uh, and if anything, you would think like, oh, 99, 2000, they were good with the black jerseys, so I would like them. But not really. I like the, I like the 86. I don't know if they were alternate or just batting practice. The blue jerseys were very nice. Yeah. Yeah, I like the uh, well, I like the '87 ones, the blue ones that said New York in script. Yeah, definitely that famous photo of uh, I think Keith Hernandez, uh, which is pretty cool about that. And they only I'm... had it for one year, and they said, "Then let's just like take the Yankees road jerseys and copy that and add a little blue and orange." There you go. See, and that's all that matters because the Mets have just been copying franchises uh, throughout their history, so it doesn't matter what era or when it was. Um, blue, orange, pinstripes, they steal it all. There it is. Exactly. Um, all right, so Javi Baez, we talked about uh, briefly. Listen, it's a good move. It shows how much pull Francisco Lindor has in the organization. He's a rental, I believe. I mean, unless you could get him for a good, decent contract and he'll play second base. But it's one thing to say, yeah, I want to go play with my friend. It's another thing when other teams are offering you large amounts of cash and money and a stable contract for years to play a position that you're natural at. And it's like, I believe that Baez and Lindor are close, which is nice. But at the end of the day, I don't see Baez as being a lifelong Met after, after 2021 and beyond. So listen, you, you, you take as much out of this as you can. It was nice to see the home run. 
Uh, you got the strikeout as well. Now he just needs to uh, to commit an error in his next game. We're taping this <laughs> on uh, Monday evening. But, you know, Javi Baez, I always liked him better than Chris Bryant. I don't know why. I just I thought that he could do more. As, but then you just look at the numbers recently. Like, I think Bryant was hitting below the Mendoza line for his last 35 games. Baez has not been batting well. He got off to a terrible start. And he just hasn't been able to recuperate from that. I think the Mets didn't have to necessarily make a move. I would have been disappointed if they didn't. But at the end of the day, like I'll give them, I'll give them high marks. I'll give them a thumbs up. Like it was a good move. It, I for me, it didn't move the needle like obviously the Cespedes deal did. I'm trying to think of other good trade deadline uh, acquisition that the Mets got post Piazza. Oh, Chris that Benson. Really got me. Uh, you know what? You're right. Chris Benson, Victor Zambrano. Those yeah. are good. Those are good names in there as well. I'm trying to think who else did the Mets get? Um, Richard Hidalgo. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was a trade deadline, but that's another good, uh, good pick. Yeah. No. Well, your thoughts on Javi Baez. Yeah. I like the move. It's one, it's one of those also where you realize like, Oh, we just signed a shortstop for like 12 or 13 years before the season. So what does that mean? And then it leads to all the lineup questions. Cause you, you assume it's going to be Lindor Baez up the middle. So then is that going to be McNeil at third or Davis at third? Or are they going to, one is in third and one is in the outfield. What happens with Dom Smith? Does Conforto become a platoon player? Uh, although it's, you'd rather have this problem than trying to figure out uh, <laughs> the, the other way of not having enough good hitters. And I agree with that. I think that's, that's a good thing. But if you just look at the Mets, I mean, they've just been, besides Alonso, they've been tough to watch at the plate. Michael Conforto is having the worst contract year ever, ever. <laughs> Like, and I don't even know if you want to re-sign him. And I, I think could, he just needs to leave New York. For, yeah, I, well, I could see it. Uh, well, I, I know he's, you know, I think he's popular. He's like the, the union rep. But maybe, maybe they give him a one or two year small deal to kind of reprove himself. Uh, it, it's kind of inexplicable unless this injury is worse than he's letting on. I mean, it's, right. uh, I mean, Michael Conforto hitting around the Mendoza line and really not even hitting for power. It's not right. even like he's – I mean, he had that one stretch against the Pirates where he hit a few. But you can see if he was hitting low and, you know, okay, but he's got some pop. I mean, there's not – I mean, he's making some nice plays in the outfield. But for Conforto to be around a 200 hitter is uh, <laughs> really doesn't make sense. And that's the thing. Baez is hitting 248, but he's got 22 home runs. You know, if, right. if Conforto was putting up Adam Dunn-like stats, you live with it uh, because everybody strikes out now. But – it's it's really been inexplicable, inexplicable, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's just a better, he's better suited for a smaller market. Um, I wonder if the Mets actually considered maybe moving him or at least trying to see um, what his trade value is. I don't think it's that high, but yeah, I, was I say, think I don't he, think uh, a, a rental for a guy hitting one ninety nine. Right, exactly. Um, but then on top of that. The Mets will probably extend the qualifying offer to him. They've already shown with not signing Kumar Rocker how valuable um, how valuable those draft picks are. Maybe yeah. you just have to, you know, swallow this poison pill and just let Conforto move on. I, 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 it, you've already given him the leash, you know, and he's played well defensively. So that's that's what's keeping him in the lineup at times. But eventually, he's going to have to hit. Like, I'm surprised that he still hits. Like, he still hits sixth, right? He still hits at the yes. <laughs> middle of the order. He's not hitting eighth. Right. You know, he's getting who, – who was it? It was um, 
I think it was like Wilmer Flores was in the lineup every day, like in 2014, you know, like a Ruben Tejada. It, it made no sense. Um, so that's that's my one gripe with the Mets and Conforto. I'm very disappointed with him. Hopefully he's able to turn it around, but I think that he's depends gonna have to on do more than play defense. If they bring Baez back, that's where you get maybe the logjam of where, where do you fit McNeil and J.D. Davis and Dom Smith. Although if there is a DH next year, that would help them. Right, and that's where I wish we had some clarity, and I just don't think we're going to have that. Also, I think it's great for baseball that all of these primetime free agents are going to be free agents during a strike. That's going to be wonderful. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the Vegas odds are on there being a strike, but I'm putting my money on that. Is it just um, like even money at this point? It's got to be, right? It's got to be. I mean, I, I don't – and the way that they're negotiating is is – is awful. Like you, you see some reports where it's like, okay, well, we'll give you nine inning double headers again, but there's going to be a universal DH or vice. Like they're just throwing out big bargaining chips on both sides, and the fans are just left in flux. And you're just wondering, well, what are they going to do um, to quell all of this? Like it's amazing how you look at the beginning of Manfred's tenure as commissioner. And I understand that he's just the figurehead for the owners, but the wild card idea was a great idea. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah. The wild card was like his best idea that they had. And then it just slowly, slowly, slowly went down. They juiced the balls then they didn't juice the balls. Now you got the sticky stuff scandal. Now you've got, seven inning double headers and an international tiebreaker. If you wanted to do all that stuff in 2020, keep it there. I get it. You don't want the players on the field longer than possible. And you want to experiment. And obviously you don't want them getting sick from COVID. Okay. Try it out in 2020. That's your aberration year. But to then have 2021 be all systems go and keep these rules around. It's, it's, it's reprehensible. It's well, helping the Mets. Well, it's helping the Mets all the seven-inning doubleheaders because it's like their pitching staff has pitched like four less games than the Braves and Phillies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll enjoy I'll enjoy the benefits that it gives the Mets, but overall for the game, it's not. So <laughs> well, you're right, I guess. Yeah. Well, what we're really going to get, we're going to get like this amazing like seven-game World Series that reminds everybody why they love baseball and then there'll be a strike. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm ready for that. Probably in two big markets like L.A. and – who knows if the Yankees come back now? Um, so there's that. Uh, okay, so those those are my thoughts. Any any other thoughts on the Mets? Because then there's some other just weird, dorky stuff that you and I can get into that I think is pretty fun. Sure. I mean, I, I do I do like the Mets' odds of winning the division, uh, as, as we spoke about the other day. Not even because of anything the Mets do, just because <laughs> right. the rest of the division just seems to be tripping over themselves at every turn you go. <laughs> Boy, the Nationals are out of it, and then Schwarber hits a home run every day, and then he gets injured and traded, and they trade everyone. And you go, well, you know, the Braves are still the Braves, and then Acuna tears his ACL just jumping for a ball, which I've never seen before. Uh, and then you go, well, I guess it's up to the Phillies, and then their bullpen hands back, you know, every lead that it gets. Like, they're allergic to leads. It's incredible that, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of the equivalent. Like, I guess it's like in the movie Rat Race, like, have you seen Rat Race? Oh, I love that. All right. So, yeah. So, Rowan Atkinson gets to, right. if you haven't seen it, sorry for the spoiler, but, you know, yeah, he gets to the money years. bag. Yeah, right. They had 20 yeah, years. It came out in 2001. He gets to the money bag first and then just falls asleep. Like, that's the Mets. 
over the last two months. Like they didn't lose any position, but they didn't do anything to enhance themselves. So they're just standing at the locker with the key in the locker and that's it. And everyone else is just looking at him. Like that's what's going on in the NL East. And then, and then in the end, uh, the NL East will team up with meatloaf to just give the pennant to another team. (laughs) Houston, here it comes. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. That's crazy. All right. Another great um, lovable loser team, Chicago Cubs. I know that they won five years ago. Everyone has said that they've always been cursed, the Cubs. I feel that the Cubs are an organization that in the past, they're not cursed. They just haven't been good. Like the Red Sox are cursed. The Red Sox, you can, <laughs> they were cursed. You know, like you can look at 86 being the, the obvious example, Bucky Bleep and Dent, um, the Boston Massacre. All of that stuff, I 46. Um, but the Cubs, I mean, look, they're doing it to themselves. All right. I feel, I don't think getting, letting Rizzo, Baez, and Bryant walk is as big a deal as giving away Lou Brock for nothing. But them hitting home runs basically in their first games, not basically in their first games, it's just a big slap in the face to the entire north side of Chicago. And there's a part of me that's like, yeah, they won the World Series. I It feels like nobody in Chicago remembers that. And they, they're just coming out with like the pitchforks and stuff. And it's just amazing to me how a big market team decided not only to trade these guys, but they gave up, like they paid for their salaries to leave too. And they didn't even get that... The, the you know they they didn't get these primetime prospects they didn't get a ronald acuna you know like they didn't get any of those types of guys for any for that trio or kimbrel or anybody i mean they got nick madrigal we'll see what happens with him but unreal with the cubs i like that the gm also said like well you know like you know we could sign them back it's like well you could but you're not going to <laughs> yeah technically you could right <laughs> like it's not against the rules yeah, Anthony Rizzo is going to spend like two months hitting home runs in the short porch. He's going to be like, wait, do you want me to like go back to the Cubs who are losing and they're probably like going to be cheapskates again? Like, no. Right. Um, and also the Cubs fans had to watch all these guys get traded. And I think they're bracing themselves for an ALCS of the White Sox against Dusty Baker because it is going to happen. <laughs> Maybe may yeah. a division series. Kimbrell coming on, getting a big out in the eighth. <laughs> Dylan Cease. <laughs> Throwing six shutout innings. Eloy Jimenez hitting a home run. Oh. Tony LaRusso celebrating. Right, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Although That's I feel amazing. like Cubs fans like, can't complain, right, after 2016. It's just like, look, you never thought you were going to win. Like, just shut up. I feel like you say that, but just, I mean, listen, you shouldn't read the tea leaves on Twitter. But it just seems like this is a franchise, uh, this is a fan base that just forgot about it until all the tribute videos came out for Bryant, Rizzo, Schwarber, and Lester. But can you think of a team that had a more dramatic, like, fall from grace? Like, let's let's start with the Cubs in 2015. So they're a year ahead of schedule. They beat the Cardinals, get swept by the Mets in the LCS. 2016, they win it all. 2017, Losing five to the Dodgers in the LCS. I don't believe they made the playoffs in 2018. No, they, in 2018, they lose in the wild card game to the Rockies. 2019, I, they don't make the playoffs. And then they got swept by the Marlins last year. 
or they lost in four, but they lost to the Marlins in the first round. Like this is a team that had a dynasty core and failed to get back to the World Series. I thought 18 was some, you know, 17, fine. The Dodgers were back. 18, I thought was bad luck because they had like the, they were tied for the most wins in the National League and then lost like a game 163 to Milwaukee and then ended up losing the wild card game. So that was just like a weird thing that happened. But yeah, they're going to be one of those like, you know, like the late 80s Mets where you go, oh, you only won once. Uh, which I get, I think again shows how tough it is just to win. I mean, look at the Braves all those years who only won one. Look at the Dodgers the last eight years. They only got the one last year, even though they're right. still. Still in contention, of course. You're right. But you know what? You're right. I think we've got two or three teams from this era that you could say, why didn't they win more? And it starts with the Dodgers because the Dodgers had, you could make the argument, they've had the best team in the league over the last four years. Um, The Astros have only won one World Series. Went to two, but only won one. And then, like you said, they've got... The Yankees will always be a big mystery considering that they didn't even get to the World Series. And that... All right, I wanted to bring this up to you, too. Do you think Aaron Judge is properly rated, overrated, or underrated? We're talking about by by fans or media or overall? or If you want to break it down that way, Uh, your opinion, like, how would you? (laughs) I can't tell they rate him because then there was some story about, you know, maybe they could trade him. I I wouldn't trade him. Uh, I think he's fairly... uh, I think he's fairly properly rated. I mean, this is a guy that really hasn't stepped up in the playoffs or put the team on his back. He's hurt a lot. Had the great rookie year, obviously. But other than that, I think he's just been disappointing. And I'm not saying that you're going to hit 50 home runs a year every year. But on top of the fact that he's out a lot and then the team struggles and that he's not performing either – it kind of, at least where he is right now, I feel like that core of those baby bombers are overrated. And I know that they're having a good season by a number standpoint, but you can't tell me that this is a vintage good Yankee season considering what they've gone through. They've looked terrible at points, like just absolutely dreadful. They've, I can't think of a team that has suffered worse losses this year than the Yankees. And like they did it against the Mets, they did it against the Angels, the Red Sox. Um, I'm sure I'm missing out a few. Uh, John and Susan. Well, you forgot you forgot the Houston one. Right. Yeah. Right. I, <laughs> I was listening to the um, I was listening to the ninth inning when the Yankees when Domingo Herman had the no hitter going into the eighth inning. Right. Or was it yeah. Going into the seventh. Yeah, we're going into the eighth inning. And so I didn't know that because I was on the road. I was coming back from my parents, and then. Uh, I turn it on in the ninth inning, and and the first thing John says, "Oh boy, Susan, this is this is the fifth. This is the this is the worst loss of the year. This is the fifth time that we've said that. Ain't that <laughs> something?" And then they're listing all of them, and 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 John, which was amazing, he's like, "Just absolutely dreadful, awful, awful." And I just, I I like the I like the moves that they made. They had to get Rizzo. They had to get Gallo. It's nice that finally they got left-handed bats. They'll probably squeak into the playoffs, but you're right. Yeah, I guess the Yankees are that other team of, well, how did they not even get to a World Series? Uh, that, that gives you appreciation for, like, the Giants winning three in five years and the Red Sox rolling off what they do. You realize, you know, I, I think of the Indians from 95 to 01 who were so stacked every year and never won. 
Well, Seattle, it's tough to win a World Series and, and even make one in the Yankees' case, which also, you know, when the other team knows all the pitches that are coming in the ALCS also hurts. Yeah. I think the interesting one, I don't think Judge is overrated. You could wonder what happened to the Baby Bombers' core, though. I think that's fair because Sanchez is so up and down and his downs are at the bottom of the league. I mean, remember at one point, Greg Bird was part of those Baby Bombers. Right. Yeah, I think I think they lost a lot with uh, the departure of Didi Gregorius. Glaber yeah. Torres has not become Roberto Alomar, um, and poor Brett Gardner. Like the vitriol that Brett Gardner gets, he's a 37 year old fourth outfielder who's being asked to play a lot. Aaron Hicks has just been a huge disappointment. Um, Clint Frazier. Clint Frazier, right? I'm trying to think who else. You know, I mean, then they had their prospects that didn't pan out. Um, Justice Sheffield, Florial, um, Debbie Garcia, Severino has taken a huge step back. Yeah. I don't know. I just can't wait for Brian Hoke to come out with another book. He's come out with a book the last two years, right? The first one was about the baby bombers. Well, one was about which the I pandemic read, which year. Was, yeah. And the other one was about the pandemic year. And it's like, that would have been good to read in like five years from now. We're still living in it, Brian. Oh, the Yankees did everything on Zoom. That must have been hard. Yeah, it was. Everyone went through it. Like, did he just compile all of his game stories and his notes? For well, somebody had to do the quick turnaround one. I, I was interested in, uh, I don't know if we brought this up, but, you know, the way the trade deadline is covered now and the week leading up to it used to be, you didn't really know and you were just kind of out of nowhere. It's like, oh, the Mets got Carlos Delgado. It's like, oh, like what? And then it got to a point where for three or four days, you'd be hearing the rumors that they were close and they were just hashing out like the details and the money. Now we've devolved to a point where there's a story just saying the Mets are interested in Max Scherzer. And that's an actual story. Can you imagine reading like David Russell's interested in Brie Larson? It's like, so like, who cares? (laughs) And it just goes to the point of, well, the Mets are interested in Max Scherzer. And it's like some reporter went up to Alderson or someone in the Mets front office and said, Hey, Max Scherzer, he's a future Hall of Famer. He's going to be a free agent, but he'd be a really good pitcher. Would you guys be interested? Yeah. Yeah, I would be interested in a first ballot <laughs> Hall of Famer. Like, who wouldn't be? It's just, it's, it's so dumb. Like, the Mets are kicking the tires on prospects for different teams. Or scouts have been in Brooklyn to watch the Mets. It's like, yeah, they all do that. Like, every team does that. They send scouts to look you at... You could say that for every game of the year. Right. It's just so dumb. But you know what? Once again, Bob Nightingale continues to be the best scooper out there. Is Bauer met yet? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I like what um, you said in your, your last show. You, you knew Bauer wasn't coming to the Mets when he said he was coming to the Mets. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, did you see that uh, Boob got, um, he got hoodwinked this time around? Somebody had a fake passing account and then oh. said it was Chris <laughs> Bryant to the Yankees. <laughs> and then so he reported on it and Jeff Passan had to come out and Jeff Passan who's probably on 17 minutes of sleep and like 14 cups of coffee is like that's not me it's not a real report and for Nightingale too I don't know what sources he has but it's Chris Bryant to the Yankees wouldn't you I don't know maybe want to call Bryant's agent call the Yankees call somebody to be like is this true can I confirm this which I think at this point, some of the front offices like just feed him bad information. It's like, uh, 
It's like, hey, Cash, we got uh, Brian Cashman. Cash, we got we got Nightingale on the phone. Do you want to talk to him? Uh, just yeah, sure, no problem. Hey, so I heard you guys are uh, are uh, are talking to uh, the Dodgers about acquiring Cody Bellinger. Yeah, yeah, we are, we are, Bob. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, you can run that. Oh boy, and he just he he works for USA Today. He's not working for like the equivalent of like a Breitbart or like an Alex Jones type, you know, fantasy land website. Like he works for USA Today and he consistently gets it wrong. But because he's so consistent in getting everything wrong, that's what makes him the greatest. <laughs> like, I don't know if history will remember Ken Rosenthal and Jeff Passan, but let me tell you, in 20, 30 years, when those guys are out of the game, you and I will be talking and say, hey, remember when we used to get our news on Twitter and there was this one guy who was always wrong all the time? And like, here's the funny thing. There's nobody in the other sports that's a Bob Nightingale. You know, like basketball, you've got Woj, you've got Shams. The NFL, you've got Schefter, Michael Rappaport, uh, uh, Ian Rappaport. Uh, I wish Michael Rappaport was breaking stories. That would have been amazing. That would be interesting. He'd probably do better than, uh, than Boob Nightingale. But it's <laughs> like they don't even have anybody in the other sports that are, um, that are as bad as Nightingale. I don't know, man. He's very entertaining to watch, but you can't, you can't just follow along with what he does because as you saw, yeah, Bauer was going to be a Met. I'm There's surprised a whole, you didn't screen, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't screenshot that tweet and make it your cover photo. I've pretty much. Oh my God. Yeah, no, that's when I knew. That's when I knew. And then one of my buddies, uh Rich McLeod, broke the story that Cespedes had opted out of the twenty twenty season. Mm-hmm. And then Nightingale like fifteen minutes later was like, um, Cespedes did not call the Mets about opting out or like he basically, he, he, he tweeted the opposite. And I was like, Oh, good for rich. He broke that story. Like he got it, <laughs> you know? So it was something else, but any other uh, big trade deadline things that uh, stick out to you? Uh, Why well, I do enjoy the Mariners giving away their closer to the Astros. That was a nice touch. And then getting bailed out by the Rays who didn't make a move themselves. Yeah, I'm not sure what was going on with all of that. I don't get it. And I want to kill the Rays because I felt like they could have done more this trade deadline. Um, and I'll get and to that. Do, and you do, time. you know, them in Boston are close. And I think you do want to win that division and stay away from that one game playoff. And you just never know. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. We're, you know, like Eric Cole could be starting uh, the wild card game in the AL this year. Right. 100%. Um, which if I'm the Yankees, the- I don't know if that's a good thing or yeah, well, a bad thing. It's a different, uh, right. And I was going to say, is there, is there a less impressive franchise than the Mariners historically? <laughs> I know we got into this the other day. I, I think basically they had King Griffey Jr. and Randy Johnson for a few years. Then they had Ichiro. I mean, I mean first of all, like the first like 15 years of their franchise, you just like nothing. Right. It was like Gaylord Perry won his 300th game with them. And instead of, I don't know if you know, instead of the bullpen car, they actually had a bullpen tugboat. <laughs> for a few weeks i would bring players out and then after two weeks her labors were like yeah we're not coming out in this <laughs> and so they did away with it i mean they've been around since 77 they've played zero world series games they made the playoffs four times which is on like a seven-year stretch i mean really talk about just like an, i mean even the brewers made a world series once yeah and the brewers were horrible like historically the brewers <laughs> are bad the padres have been to the world series twice um, twice 
Right. The Rockies have been to the World Series. Yeah, I mean, they barely showed up for it, but they made it. But they were there, yeah. They. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I believe the Mariners are the worst team in baseball history. It's tough to say you- that. It's tough to say that with the Phillies and Cubs because I've seen them both win, but the Phillies have 10,000 losses and the Cubs have the one World Series. But like between, I believe it was between 1945 and 1990. No, that doesn't make sense. Between 1945 to 2011. Yeah, before Epstein got there, they had 45 losing seasons. Yeah, that's pretty bad. (laughs) I mean, they're terrible, but you know what? They still do have a recent World Series, and so do the Phillies. I mean, right? You know, yeah. There's a lot more losing, but at least, you know, like, at least if you were a fan of the team, you could like pop in a DVD and watch them win the World Series. Also, think about the worst losses for each team when it comes to their playoff. Like, okay, the Mets. You know, like you look at the Mets World Series, 2015, 2000. Like, should they have left Matt Harvey in? Um, what if Armando Benitez doesn't blow the save in game one? Like the like Mariners don't... Right. Yeah, 73, right. Like, should they have thrown Seaver and uh, Matlack, you know, or should they have thrown George George Stone? Here's the thing. The Mariners don't even have that because they don't get there. Like, they don't even have a bad loss in the playoffs. It's weird. They have, I mean, getting shellacked by the Yankees, but it's not like, oh, you know. Should they have started Aaron Sealy and Moyer and that? Or, like, they have nothing. Like, there's no... To be fair, the Mariners were at a disadvantage. They had only won 116 games. That's true. That's a good point. You know? Well, the Indians took them to five in the first round, so you know they were tired. (laughs) Yeah, it's not even like the Mariners lost in seven games to the Yankees. You know, like a hard-fought... Yeah, right, (laughs) right. And they got... They lost game five, like, 12 to three. Like, if you would have watched that series... And you didn't tell the viewers who had the better record. You would have thought the Yankees won 116 games. Right. <laughs> you you oh. would have thought the Mariners lost 116 games. Right. Yeah. And then I always think back to 2012, Robinson Cano's first year. The Mariners held on to Taiwan Walker because um, they didn't want to trade him for David Price. And they did this half measure approach and got eliminated on the last day of the season, like in the fourth inning. Because remember when baseball used to have, like, games start in normal times instead of having it in one uniform? Right, not not every game at 3 o'clock. Right. So I forgot who the Mariners lost out to. Like, I forgot who got the win on the final day of the season, but it was an East Coast game. What was it? Well, I was trying to think, because 2012, uh, Texas, I think, was one of the the wild card teams that could have been it. Or Baltimore, maybe. Yeah, but either way, the Mariners yeah. found out in the fourth inning that they had been eliminated, which was insane to me. But also the point of, all right, so you played for 162 games. You, you know, you were eligible for the playoffs. Like that doesn't happen all the time. David Price could have put you over the edge. I'm not saying that the Mariners would have won a World Series, but if you're going to go out and spend the most money in franchise history for Robinson Cano, and you can get David Price in there. Hisashi Iwakuma was an all-star. Felix Hernandez is probably the best pitcher in Mariners history. That's a team that could get to, that should get to the playoffs or at least get to a wild card round. And they didn't do that. So, yeah, man, I'll give you well, that. It's like, it's like when the Mets got Johan Santana. 
And then during the season, there was a little bit of like, well, could Manny Ramirez be a possibility? Right. It's like, well, they don't want to give up so many prospects. It's like, wait, are you going for it or not? Right. And that's what kills me too, because I feel like these prospects are lottery tickets. Like, yes, the 2015 Mets rotation, Harvey was a prospect. DeGrom was a prospect. Syndergaard, you know, like they, Steven Matz, they were all prospects. But eventually you have to trade some of them. Like, think about it. The Mets gave up Michael Fulmer, who was considered on that level of Harvey and Wheeler. But they gave him up for Cespedes. The Mets had to pay that parking ticket, which was Fulmer won the rookie of the year. But since then, he's done nothing. The Mets had to live with Daniel Murphy finishing second in the MVP race, but the Mets at least held on to him. You know, and like they should have re-signed him. But the point is, sometimes you just don't know. And a lot of these prospects look really good, but sometimes you have to trade them too. Right. The good trades are the ones where both GMs are happy. Like when the, the Giants and Rockies in 2012 did, you know, the Giants got Marco Scudero and he helped them win the World Series and the Rockies got Charlie Blackman. Right. That's one where you go, okay, you know, we all won. Speaking of the Rockies, they're the biggest losers of the deadline. Unless they believe they're going to keep Trevor Story, which doesn't look like they're going to. I mean, they... You would you know the Rockies' history better than I do, but let me throw this at you. So Todd Helton's the best player in Rockies franchise history. Is that fair? Yeah. All right, so Todd Helton is the unanimous number one. Nolan Arenado's got to be number two, right? Yeah, I think yeah, I think part of that is Helton because of how long he was there, and Arenado doesn't get there to be that long. Because you know, I, I would say the Rockies are cheapskates, even though they paid a lot of money of Arenado anyway to go to St. Louis. Right. What a bizarre, That's my what point. A bizarre, bizarre move. They they traded the second best player, certainly the best player of the last ten years. Or I don't know when Helton retired. Now, now I'm just confusing my years. But they retired one of the best young players in franchise history and paid another team to take him. They paid $50 million to take him. I, I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer, at least if he continues. I mean, the guy was there eight years, and he won eight gold gloves. He's the best third baseman of this generation. I'll fight Amazing. anyone that says anything else. I hope he opts out and the Mets get in on him. But, you know, maybe he likes St. Louis. I don't know. But what I also find weird about Colorado is everybody talks about Oh, we should get, you know, Troy Tulowitzki and all the guys that ever come through there. And then there's always that question of, are they going to hit outside of course Field? And nobody ever looks at their pitchers because everybody goes, well, we're, you know, we're at the deadline and we all want a guy with like a 4.7 ERA. But wouldn't it follow that the Rockies who leave course Field are going to pitch better? Right. Yeah. Yeah, you it know, wouldn't surprise me Gray. if... Right. Herman Marquez, Kyle Freeland, you know, like, make some offers out there. That, that to me, those guys are like the, uh, you know, the untapped potential. You go, look, they, they're probably going to pitch better once they get out of there. Right. Yeah, it's ugh, Austin Gomber. Are you kidding? For Nolan Arenado. That's insane. And then, of course, the Rockies fans, I feel bad for them because they give Arenado a standing ovation. And, like, this year should have been his all-star game once they decided to move it to Atlanta. But the Rockies just got rid of him. And then they held on to Story, who they're not going to keep. Right. <laughs> It just doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense. And of course, once the Cardinals got Arenado, I thought they would win the division. You know, here they are playing mediocre baseball. Right. If you you want to lose your money, ask me at the beginning of the year who I picked to make the playoffs and then bet on those teams. So who'd you, what'd you have? You had the Mets, uh, what'd you have? Like the Braves, the Cardinals? Oh, of course. Well, I had the Braves and Cardinals. Uh, I I figured the Dodgers and Padres would battle 
for the West and one wild card. And then I didn't see the Giants happening. So I thought the Mets and Phillies would fight for the second wild card spot. Right. Because I was like, look at the Phillies. Look at all that talent. Look at Joe Girardi. That, that's a really impressive roster. And, you know, here they are. You're telling me you didn't see Darren Ruff having an MVP season? Uh, no, no. I'll be, or Kevin Gaussman <laughs> having maybe a Cy Young season. No, this is oh. not on my radar. College well, I, I just figured the Dodgers and Padres would, uh, would just beat up on everybody else. And just said it's the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants beating up on two atrocious NL West teams. I'm sorry that the uh, Diamondbacks actually started like 15 and 13 because they would have been in 62 Met territory with the way they played over the uh, the summer. Yeah. Yeah, they, they had like an eight and 48 stretch. Well, and they lost what, like 15 road games in a row? Yeah, you know, even the 1919 White Sox, like I know they lost the World Series on purpose. Like they went three and five that series. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that was the biggest thing about that whole conspiracy, right? Was that the White Sox did it in a good way. Like they, it didn't look like they threw it. And then you well, I think the people like knew the games that were being thrown looked bad, but they still like lost right. five games to three. And what's nice is all of the what's really unfortunately historically forgotten by most people is that all those guys probably threw the nineteen twenty pennants also. Right. <laughs> they were all there in nineteen twenty, and they only lost to uh, Cleveland by a few games. And they they probably threw a bunch of games that cost them a pennant that year. Incredible, absolutely incredible. That's. What a great, great organization. I mean, and, they, and no, it Tony took them Lewis forever to win, too. On, and Tony LaRusso was not on the 1919 White Sox coaching staff. How about Tony LaRusso picking fights with the uh, the Twins, right? I love it. I Like I, I've said in the past, you know, I think it's so cool that he retired on top 10 years ago, and now he's coming back. And I think it would be like the biggest boss move if he won again and retired on top again. Right. Like 35 years after the White Sox fired him, that he could bring a World Series there. Which is amazing to me because LaRusso was always the smartest guy in the room. And I know that he invented baseball, but it is amazing how at the beginning of the year, myself included, I just thought he wasn't going to gel with the younger generation. This isn't Mark McGuire. This isn't, I'm trying to think of um, players that he's managed, you know, like <laughs> Tom Seaver. Right. Tom Seaver. Um, who was the Hall of Famer that got in a few years ago, but he's not really a Hall of Famer? Harold Baines. Harold Baines. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. Like those, Lee Smith. Like, we, you don't have those guys anymore. So I was like, well, how's he going to connect with these young guys? Well, it turns out if you just go out there and fight the other team's catcher after your best player gets hit in the face, you know. But isn't that amazing how he went out to defend Jose Abreu and, like, uh, Yerman Mercedes, a young, um, very – a young, how can I say this? What's the right word for it? Like a young, incorrigible player like Yerman Mercedes hits a home run off of a position player. And this, you know, his coach, his manager just alienates him and just makes him feel like dirt. I mean, that's that's amazing in my book. Um, well, AL, AL is going to have a fascinating manager of the year voting this year. Because yes. I don't think you can give it to Cash because they just won the pennant last year. Uh, Alex Cora, I don't know what the, uh, you know, the videotape stuff, if people would feel too good about him winning it. I mean, Dusty right. Baker, the Astros were in game seven of the ALCS last year. So it's, it's like, you know, it, it probably should be La Russa. Yeah. Yeah, because the White Sox were a good team last year, but they were like the tier of a good little team. Now they're just a wrecking force. Uh, like yeah. Go ahead. 
Oh yeah. I mean, it seems like they're, they're going to pull away in the division just because of the competition also that they have a pretty sizable lead. And, yeah. uh, and I still trust Tony LaRusso in October. Yeah, I do too. Like he's not like Dusty Baker who will lose you a big game. He actually right. wins the big games, which is good to hear. Yeah. La, um, La Russa has an ego, but you know what? He's, he's got the resume to back it up. Right. Yeah. Which is amazing to me when, you know, La Russa, Phil Jackson, like these guys, they're not liked by the media, but it's like, well, they win. So deal with it. Yeah. So, somehow Phil Jackson uh, was able to win 11 titles. So I, I guess it worked for him. Only 11. But Greg Popovich is uh, the greatest coach of all time. Let's well, see. USA's got some wins recently, right? Didn't they? They beat um, they beat European Power, Czech Republic. Who else did they beat? Good team out of the Middle East, Iraq, right? Yeah, they beat. Uh, yeah, they won one game, like uh, one twenty to sixty six. That's that's the USA basketball that I've I've come to that's know right. and love. That's right. I, I just I just want you know some people like the competition and. You know all that. I, I just want it to be 1992. I just want to go on like you know, you know, 46 to one runs against Angola. I don't know nothing about Angola, but Angola's in trouble. Exactly. <laughs> One of the, the all time great quotes by Charles yeah. Barkley. It is amazing though, just watching the criticism on Team USA. I mean, they're basically the 2004 team that won bronze. Right. Um, but <laughs> I mean. This basketball, like, besides what American fans actually think, it's gotten a lot better internationally. Having said right. that, the U.S. should still be beating these guys. I'm not saying that you should crush Spain or who's even a good second team now. Um, Argentina, right? Like, yeah. you're not going to win by 50, but you should at least beat these teams. And they do not. So and also look bad that Mike Krzyzewski like went undefeated like three straight Olympics and then they lost like immediately. Well, I think a part of that was recruiting, you know, like I think he probably had maybe under the table deals or he had boosters like talk to these other countries and just say, you know what, if you guys could just lose a few games, I would love to at least show Zion Williamson or Cam Reddish or RJ Barrett, Jaleel Okafor, like, oh hey, this is um this is what I want. You know, like that. this is, I, I want this recruit. And if we are good on the international stage, then I could get these recruits. And <laughs> I forgot what podcast it was, but they were talking about how Mike Krzyzewski, what he does is he's got a big recruit coming over and he'll be like, Oh, who's your favorite player? And they'll say, Oh, my favorite player is LeBron James. So what he'll do is he's got on his phone, He'll have the number of one of his like student managers, but he'll just name it LeBron James and he'll just text them and be like, Oh, guess who I'm with? I'm with Zion Williamson. And then the manager just like will text back, say, Oh, wow, that's cool. I love his game. Man, he should really go to Duke. Like one of those types of false uh, recruiting, recruiting uh, adventures. I, I guess you don't think the recruits are too smart that they would fall <laughs> for this. You're not getting, you're not, you don't think very highly of them. I mean, you know, I hope they are, but. Maybe not. Oh, that's what I'll get you next year, like for your birthday. You know how they have like cameo.com? Yeah. Instead of the actual cameo, I'll just like have a guy named Mike. Like, I'll just call somebody Mike Piazza and show you a text being like, wow, Mike says happy birthday, John. Right. They, (laughs) that's it. Oh, NBA free agency heating up. Kyle Lowry to the Heat. So, Mm. yeah. 
excited, right? Where do you think Chris Paul goes? I don't know. That's interesting. Do you think um, he goes to the Knicks? Because, you know, every free agent always loves to come to New York City. It'd be great if he went to the Knicks because he's past his prime. So he'd be a great Nick. That's true. You know what? You I know? didn't think of that. that right. That's a good point. So we might actually come to the Knicks now that he's like 37 and just played until late July. And I saw, I believe it was SNY, said that um, the Knicks are thinking about Carmelo Anthony. So, you know, maybe, maybe Melo, you know, goes there too. You got the Knicks and the Lakers in the finals. Team Banana Oh, yeah. Boat. So, so we could have Dwayne Wade comes out of retirement. Finals. Right. And the winner faces the Lakers. It is amazing that the Nets built a super team to go past one more round of the Knicks. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's <laughs> one way of looking at it. I guess that's that's what happens when you put a team of superstars who play like you know eight games together because all their ligaments tear every two weeks. Well, yeah, that's there's that too. It's like um, you believe James Harden's hamstring tore. It's like yes, <laughs> yes, I do. Well, I was looking it up. I'm, I'm searching Twitter now, but didn't Kawhi Leonard also like he opted out, right? Yes. Right. So. I know you love the Lakers. Like you're the biggest Laker fan oh, um, out there. And I know you've got a lot to say, but wouldn't it be amazing with uh, Kawhi Leonard, his ACL injury isn't that bad. And then he just signed like a mid-level extension with the um, mid-level, mid-level exception with the Lakers. Well, maybe he and, just loves the Staples Center that much. Right, right. But yeah, no, you know, I, every, every all-star gets to go to the Lakers because – I, the league must threaten these other teams. Like they must just say like Minnesota, like you just give Pau Gasol to the Lakers for nothing. Do it or else we'll like, you know, we'll, we'll make you fire all the front office people. We have, we have dirt on you. Hey, you know what? LeBron wants to play with Anthony Davis. Yeah. You probably want to, you know, yeah, you could team up Anthony Davis and Zion. You know what? No, LeBron wants to play with him. That means you have to send him there. Or he wants to play with Russell Westbrook now. Sorry, Washington. What are you going to do? Right. The king gets what he wants. <laughs> I like that these other teams just don't say like, no, no, we're not going to trade you our all-star. <laughs> like, of course not. Right. Just just draft someone. But no, everybody's like, okay, well, if that's what you want. Could you imagine if like Jordan would have done that? In the so 90s? Utah, um, he's, he's not happy with Ron Harper. He wants to play with John Stockton now. You, you understand, right? Oh, well, that's fine. But like, does he get, you know, do we get like Scottie Pippen? No, you get a second round pick and you could get uh, Bill Wennington. Oh, well, do I have to? Yeah, yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah, he's Michael Jordan. You have to give him what he wants. All right, fine. Okay. (laughs) That's how, yeah, that's how every every discussion goes. And I believe that just started with, as we mentioned, Chris Paul. Because remember when there was that trade, Chris Paul was going to the Lakers and then the league said, no, what are you doing? you're just going to trade a very good generational type point guard to the Lakers for essentially nothing. Right. And then that, you know, I mean, the biggest loser in that trade was Lamar Odom because his feelings got hurt. And then he was like, <laughs> you guys were going to trade me for Chris Paul. Well, I want out. <laughs> Christ, the King's finest. I, th- I think the, the biggest loser was Chris Paul. Who, I guess he's never going to win a title now, right? No, which... I think it's good. It's good for basketball, you know, because you know how everyone. Okay. So how would you rather be remembered as a player who won a championship or one of the best players to never win a championship? How, now, how many times do I get to be like Robert Ory? Do I get seven? No, no. But see, that's my point. Like, it's just what, like, 
every, a bunch of guys won titles. Brian you, Cardinal, Robert Ori. Yeah, um, you, you, sound, you sound like Tracy McGrady. Right, Tracy. You sound like Tracy McGrady when he said, like, anybody could win a ring. It's like, well, I think you just explained why you never won one. <laughs> right. Well, Tracy never had a chance. You know, like, he didn't have a once-in-a-generation type center um, who was yeah. a Hall of Famer with him. Yeah. He also wasn't a Hall of Fame talent. Now, now remember, he was on the 2013 Spurs. Oh, yeah. He That's came true. very close to that ring for that, you know, like four minutes of garbage time he played. Mm. That was that was Ray Allen, right? That yeah. Year? Yeah. Yeah, it cost, cost T-Mac his, his, like, you know, hang on. It's always fun when those guys, like Pete Maravich is one year with the Celtics. Like, please, like, I want a ring. Like, take me. Right. Well, Dwight Howard, who is a Hall of Famer, um, based on the first half of his career, also uh, an NBA champ. But, yeah, man. Like, don't you miss the old Bleacher Report articles that were slideshows and it'd be who's the best player to never win a title? Like, obviously, it's Carl Malone, Patrick Ewing. Stockton and Barkley. Stockton, Barkley, right. But now Chris Paul is there, and that's elite company. Would you rather be compared to, you know, if I were to tell you, you could be compared to Charles Barkley, you know, Malone, Ewing, or you're in the same category as Brian Cardinal, you know, J.J. Barea. Help me out here. Um, well, I probably have Jason a lot more Terry. money if I'm one of those superstars. So that, that I guess that. But he's a, he already has the money, Chris Paul. You know? Like, yeah. from Chris Paul's legacy standpoint, it's actually probably better if he never wins an NBA title. You know what? It might have been better if he did it, like, one team, like, um, like the Stockton. Because Chris Paul, it's always like he was the higher gun, and he never won. Right. So that'll hurt. And it was all those, like, you know, all the blown leads, even though they weren't all his fault. And, like, Blake Griffin was injured for one of them. I yeah. mean, some of those Clippers, some of those Clippers blown leads are really, like, head-scratching. Yeah. Well, especially that game five, where they're up 3-1. Austin Rivers, of all people, is having himself a game. Kevin McHale pulls the starters. He's ready to go back to Houston. He's probably going to get fired. Right. <laughs> and then what do you know? They, they went in seven. Cause I had to be up at like 6 a.m. the next day. And then I just watched the Clippers blow it. And I was yeah, like, that, game, oh, that game six where they were up by 19 and you're like, okay, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, man, it was wild. It was wild, but yeah, no, you're right. So, so basically what we've come to the conclusion is it's better if Chris Paul doesn't win a title <laughs> and the NBA just gives LeBron whatever he wants. And to be fair too, how many Eastern conference titles has Jordan won? Six, right? Yeah. I mean, LeBron was in the finals for eight straight years. So by that token, you know, he, he, he is a better player. He is the GOAT. How many NBA final game sevens did Michael Jordan play in? Uh, well, not, Zero. Uh, how many did he win? Zero. Zero. Right. He, right. Michael Jordan never won game seven of the NBA finals. I, I think I've heard all I need to hear. Right. Yeah. So, so you've got that. If anything, yeah, I think NBC should have been mad. He was costing them a night of ratings, finishing all of the series in six games. Bob Costas is furious to this day. I like if you watch the 1998 finals, because that's when Costas did play-by-play. And you would think, like, Jordan was just playing, like, air. Like, yeah. it was just, like, him playing with nobody against nobody. <laughs> and he was literally the only... See, that's why I like, like Marv Albert doing the games, because he knew how to hype Jordan up. Within right. the context of the rest of the game. 
Well, Mar- Marv's the greatest of, you know. I think if, if I had if I had one basketball game, if you could pick any, like, pro to call a game, I'd, I'd probably do Marv Albert and Mike Fratello, right? That's a good one. Um, I'm partial to Breen. I really like That's- Breen. Iron Eagle's great. What would like, you do? You would do Breen, uh, Breen Van Gundy Jackson? Probably just Breen Van Gundy. Or Breen, okay. uh, Breen Doris Burke. Oh, that's good. You know, that's a good crew. Um, yeah. And they were even spoiled, you know, locally, Breen and Frazier. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see Breen with, uh, like, the cow suit that, uh, that Clyde brings out, like, once a year. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I, I don't want to. Oh, I do. This is this is what keeps me up at night. The legacy of Chris Paul. Um, yeah, but no, man, that's uh, that's pretty much all I have. Anything? Any other uh, big things stick out to you over the past? Uh, I guess five days. Uh, no, but my uh, my logical hope for another Subway Series World Series, you know, gets to live on because of the trade deadline. I could go, well, maybe the Yankees will be the second wild card and they make a run and the Mets do what they're pitching, you know. I, I've been waiting 21 years for another Subway Series. Yeah, I don't want another Subway World Series. That's just me. I'd rather uh, – that's why I love 2015 so much because it was just all Mets in this right. town, which was wonderful. Um, well, I get no, it. no, the Yankees made the wild card game. That's true. They, they had that's a three-hour playoff run. They did. They did. Just like uh, 2016 with the Mets, you know, three hours or four hours. So you had that. But all right, man, you got any projects coming up or anything you want to plug? Uh, No, but you can still buy my previous books, Tom Gamboa, Life in Baseball, Rod Gasper, Miracle Med, and Fabulous to Futile and Flushing, the year-by-year history of the Mets. Those are all available on Amazon. All right. Yeah, no, definitely check those out. Oh, let me get your thoughts on the, uh, the Mets Hall of Fame. So I feel like... So it's Alfonso, Darling, John Matlack, and posthumously Al Jackson, all deserving guys. It stinks that you had to wait this long. And the Mets, I guess, do they really have a code or or like a rule on inducting Hall of Famers? Because it's not an every year thing, and it just feels like it just comes up randomly. This, like, this what was, was it, a very, I mean, they hadn't done one in eight years, and that was right. the on the last day of the season. Uh, this one, this this was kind of a funny like hodgepodge, of, right? You know, one guy from the seventies, one from the late eighties, one from you know late nineties, early two thousands, uh, which was kind of interesting. I, I didn't mind it. It was, it was nice that they did this, and I always like when they honor their history. I, I've said Alfonso should be in for years. Yeah. Hopefully, this gets them thinking. Yeah, I could see Al Whiter going in one day. Uh, possibly Sid Fernandez. He's he's high up there on the, the Mets wins list. Uh, maybe there'll be a day for Gary and Howie together. Yeah. That'd be you know cool, what? I but that's going to be down the line. Next, maybe they could do uh, next year, assuming Gary, Keith, and Ronald be together, they're going to tie the uh, the Murphy, Kiner, Nelson record of 17 seasons together. Uh, so, you know, they could maybe they could honor the crew as a, a trio. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, I'm biased because I only listen to them, but just seeing how much broadcasting has advanced over the years, especially during COVID or the early days of COVID when they showed the 69 World Series, what a snooze fest. Oh, my God, was the broadcast just boring and awful. But then you realize, oh, it's 1969. Like, they don't have graphics. They don't have instant replay. They don't right, have no replay. top analysts. Well, the other thing is, 
you know, the, you don't have as many anecdotes because, you know, the pitcher would just get the ball and throw it to a batter who stayed in the batter's box. Right. And so, you know, they didn't have time to read like baseball cards for the last two winnings. Right. Uh, like exactly. and Y guys get to do. Yeah. But no, man, they're the greatest. And I think, yeah, I can't find one Met fan that has a negative thing to say about Edgardo Alfonso. He might have the highest uh, overall approval rating of any Met, right? I think so. Yeah. Because I mean, if, the... you, if you went back, if you went back, maybe Rusty Staub, but uh, yeah, Alfonso's high up there. Because you bring up Edgardo Alfonso and everyone will always say, oh, I loved Alfonso. Very underrated. Underrated's the first thing that they put up there. Right. <laughs> but he, I mean, he really was. Yeah, I think being in that, you know, just being a part of the greatest infield ever. And then, of course, when, yeah, when you're in a lineup with Piazza, you're not going to get the uh, of course. accolade. Right. And um, I'm trying to think who else was in that lineup. A little bit Olrud. You know, Olrud was a better hitter than him. Ventura. Um, Ventura, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they should have held on to him. But, you know, what can you do? Um, all right. So there's that. Those are the books. I'm going to put... Um, your Amazon page in the link as well. But yeah, um, thanks again for tuning in, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time.